0: Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today, I have the privilege of chatting with all of the triathlon's male Olympic champions. Simon Whitfield, gold in Sydney, 2000. Hamish Carter, gold in Athens, 2004. Jan Frodeno, gold in Beijing, 2008. And Alistair Brownlee, gold in London, 2012. And Rio, 2016. And in this episode, each of these Olympic champions share their stories. What were they thinking the days leading into the race? What was going through their head at the pivotal moment of the race? And when did they feel like they had it won? And what was the initial feeling that each of them had as they crossed the line knowing they were the Olympic champion? Jan Fredino's answer will make you laugh at this point. They each describe how the gold medal has affected their lives and their answers may surprise you. The show concludes with their predictions for these Tokyo Olympic Games, and honestly, this has to be one of the greatest podcast episodes ever. What a thrill it was for me to just chat with all of these champions on the one episode. But before we go on, thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the show, you really would be doing me a huge favour if you could just share it on your social platforms, and or you could support the show's partners, Athletic Greens, Hyperice and Form Swim Goggles, They're all just fantastic companies and wonderful products. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. A quick mention of the show's partners. These are all great companies and products that I use daily. If you want to support the show, you'd be doing me a massive favor by supporting these brands. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice. Hyperice is my go-to solution for recovery and restoration. The handheld percussion therapy devices, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers all release your deepest muscle tension and just aid your recovery. I own the Hypervolt Plus. I own the Hypervolt Go, the Normatec boots, and the vibrating rollers. And both my wife, Laura, and I use them every day before and after workouts and before bed. They're all just so easy to use at home. They're, they're quiet, easy to charge, and have ready at any time. I encourage you to look after your body. Honestly, it's the only thing you get to keep for all of your life. All these hyperized products are just simply brilliant. Get 10% off all hyperized products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show code, GREG21, at checkout. Go to hyperize.com. That's hyperize.com dot ecom and use code GREG21 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by my longtime partner, an amazing company and brilliant product, Athletic Greens. I'm using Athletic Greens every day. Great taste, so quick and ready to go. Athletic Greens is a delicious blend of 75 superfoods and vitamins, minerals, probiotics and a greens blend and more to support gut health, energy and immunity and stress. I've also been doubling down on Athletic Greens vitamin D, a huge portion of the population are vitamin D deficient, myself included. And right now, Athletic Greens will give you a year's supply of vitamin D for free and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Do yourself a favor and sign up. It makes a great gift for a family member or a friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash greg again that's athleticgreens.com forward slash greg this episode is brought to you by form in my opinion form smart swim goggles are the biggest thing to hit the swimming world with form smart swim goggles you can see all your key metrics while you're swimming distance your pace stroke rate and heart rate the swim data is displayed on the goggle lens and you can customize the display to see the key metrics that you want to see I couldn't believe it when I first tried them. They fit like normal, comfortable goggles, and the display is there, but it's not in the way. I consciously look at the lens to see my stroke rate and my pace and my heart rate and distance. If you're a pool swimmer or an open-water swimmer, I encourage you to check these goggles out. Please go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. Again, that is formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off the Form Smart Swim goggles at checkout or use code greg2021 at checkout. All right. Well, the Olympics are finally here. And if you're like me, you've loved the Olympics since you can remember. I've always enjoyed watching the best in the world, just battle it out on the big stage and none more so than the sport of triathlon. I've always pondered, what does it take to win on that special day? And, and what it must feel like crossing the line, knowing that you are the Olympic champion and how does that heavy metal affect the rest of your life well i've decided to get some answers and today i have all of triathlon men's gold medalists on the show five gold and one silver between the four of them men that i have raced and trained with and men that have conquered the world and have been heroes to their respective countries all of them i just incredibly admire and and would call mates the men that you would just share a beer with and just all-round top blokes They've all been on the show at least once and you can find their past episodes on your podcast app of choice, but never have they all been together on the one show. And I'm feeling very honoured that they've all agreed to come on and amazed that we were able to coordinate all the times from all the corners of the world. So welcome back to The Greg Bennett Show, Simon Whitfield, Hamish Carter, Jan Fredino, and Alistair Brownlee. How are you guys?
1: Yeah, great.
0: Hi. Good, and you? (laughs) Good, good. Well, today, because there is so many of us, I am going to kind of just point to one of you at a time so we're not talking over so the listeners can actually understand what some of us are saying. But before we go on, thanks again for coming on. I I really just want to discuss all of your individual Olympic experiences and the impact of that gold medal on your respective lives. And, And then I want to discuss this Olympic Games and your predictions. But before we go on, I want to have each of you tell me where you are in the world and what are you up to? So we'll start with you, Simon. Where are you, mate? Oh, there you go.
2: Well, first of all, I want to say that i I you sent this email out, Benno, and I just couldn't believe I was on this list. so uh, it, <laughs> uh, I just honestly, I put my phone down for a second, and I was like, "Oh, I can't believe I'm on that list. That's just insane. and uh, to each of you, I just think the world of you as great as it is to hear your voices. I'd love to see you in person. I live on Quadra Island, just off Vancouver Island. Uh, I spend part of my time in Victoria, which is on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, and part of my time up here on uh, a smaller island, a little more remote and a little bit away from it all. Between my partner and I, we have five daughters, so uh, life is full on with kids and activities and all the great stuff. But uh, most of our time is spent at the lake, out hiking, just generally outside. What keeps me busy in the day is working with VeloFix mobile bike shops. We have 150 franchises throughout uh, North America. So that keeps me very busy and uh, working on a couple of different uh, other activities. But all in all, it's playing tennis, (laughs) getting out hiking and uh, all in all adventures.
0: That's awesome, mate. Well, we should get together and play tennis. I've been that's that's become my sport of choice recently as well. Brilliant. And Hamish, mate, we just got you up at five in the morning or whatever it is in in New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming on,
1: buddy. What are you up to? Yeah, so I'm in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. So yeah, kind of grew up here and haven't really gone that far. Like Simon, I, I yeah, I sit here. Um yeah, I think what we've all achieved grows beyond ourselves in a way, and you do reflect on it and think, did I actually do that? Was that was that actually me? It kind of feels like it was somebody else because um yeah, are we worthy to be on this call? It's it's pretty it's pretty special group, that's for sure. I have I guess I spent 10 years working outside of sport when I retired and then um, recently I was back involved in a number of sports and now I run the high performance program for triathlon and to be fair you know I'm not sure that's where I really wanted to end up but it's really neat trying to help the sport be successful again when um, you know you've been in the sport for such a long time and it's amazing to see the athletes coming through now I tell you they are so much better than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased I'm not racing anymore. And Alistair and Jan, you guys are still racing, so it's amazing how, how good we've got as people or humans at, at triathlon. It's just incredible. So so that's my full-time job, and I mostly really enjoy surfing if I'm not working, and I've really got into jiu-jitsu, which I'm – really bad at and and like i wasn't a natural sports person i am just crap but i get beaten up every day and i kind of seem to enjoy it so go figure um (laughs) (laughs) but Um, if you you want a sport to do something totally out of your comfort zone i highly recommend it it's awesome
0: that is brilliant have you put on a bunch of weight then with that
1: no i can't but i'm about two kgs heavier than i raced at so That's something else that doesn't make sense to me. I should have put on some weight, and um, that just hasn't worked out.
0: Mate, that's brilliant. And I couldn't – you said earlier about where the sport's – you know, where it's at now and just – well, Alistair, you're still in the thick of it, mate, apart from being laid up with a bit of an injury. But it's it's absolutely just incredible. The amount of times I've said on the show, actually, just I'm so glad I had my career when I did because this next group have come through. It's absolutely outstanding. Now, moving on. Alistair. Mate, what are you up to?
3: Currently, I'm sat at home in my house, which is in Yorkshire, icing my ankle. Um, (laughs) We're we're trying to keep it up because uh, I had the surgery four weeks ago. And I've just started doing a bit of training in the the last few weeks. So I've um, been out for a a long ride in the Yorkshire sunshine today because it's actually really quite warm. I had to stop for water twice. It's so hot. It's at least 20 degrees. (laughs) Uh, 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 yeah so just generally happy that i'm doing a bit of exercise again in general obviously i've been um training and well competing a bit this year i was trying to um get get to the olympic games and, and that was my goal and that didn't happen after really struggling with this injury that came out of nowhere three or four months ago but yeah it's fantastic to be here and um really awesome to uh talk to all you guys you know i've been saying so much over the the last couple of weeks in the lead up to the olympics the olympics has been part of my life since i remember the in what staying up to watch it in 96 but then uh, as a 12 year old staying up through the night i'm pretty sure it was the latest i'd ever stayed up as a 12 year old to watch simon win in in sydney so yeah literally inspiration for me that inspired me to go training and go out the next day i clearly remember watching um, athens four years later and hamish and then London won the bid to win the Games in 2005, and I was still a schoolboy. And at the time, it felt so far away. It was irrelevant to me when a teacher said to me, isn't it amazing that London have won the bid? And I was like, yeah, it's cool, but it's irrelevant to me. It's never going to happen. And then, obviously, it did. So, yeah, the Olympics is a massive, been a massive part of my life, and um, really that's down to all you guys and, and triathlon becoming an Olympic sport. Mm.
0: As well, so I, I I like you watching... Simon's win in Sydney was probably one of the most special moments of, of my life. That really was sort of where triathlon hit the world stage in a big way, and it was a pretty special moment. And, and Alice, you were saying before the show, mate, you, you know, you've know, you just been on the podcast and we, were, we discussed your book, Relentless. You're starting to get a bit of feedback about how well it's done. Tell us how's it gone?
3: Yeah, thank you uh, for getting the mention in really early. Very kind of you. <laughs> I didn't even have to do it myself. Very, very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, since you asked, since you asked, <laughs> it came out on uh, last Thursday. Uh, so yeah, we're now on Tuesday. It hasn't been out for a whole week. And um, yeah, since it's, it's made it into the top ten um, bestsellers this week in the UK. And um, I've checked on Amazon where it is in the charts, probably a hundred times. At least one of those times it was on top for sports books, sports and hobbies. So. Um, many other times it hasn't been number one so I think it's doing okay
0: <laughs> I think it's doing great mate well congrats again on that book and yarn mate I can't believe you're willing to take the time when you've got this big try battle on Sunday but before telling us that where are you where are you what's going on what's happening in your world
4: yeah thanks Greg um no again like uh, I was actually quite surprised that when 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 the email came and everybody's like yep let's do it and I'm like really are you sure and I, I kept thinking one of us would have something to pull out so i'm also really really stoked to see everyone get together it's honestly it's a it's a nice memoir to get uh, to get into the swing of things big week for us we're here in, in germany in algoy which is um in the beautiful alps alpine region of germany um where we've somehow managed to find a flat course to do this trial battle on the weekend and uh have a bit of a hit up with uh with lionel sanders and um see how fast we can do 226k. And, um, yeah, I'm not icing my ankle, but I've also got my feet up and, uh, yeah, just hoping to get a bit more rest for what's been a a shaky couple of weeks.
0: It's been, um, well, I think your last Ironman was an indoor Ironman. Now you're doing one that's kind of a a jewel. It's interesting the way your career path has kind of gone. You're looking for new and exciting avenues. Is that kind of a part of it? I mean, is is Kona Ironman still the focus for you or, or how
4: does that work in? Quite honestly, I'm just getting old and I'm running out of opportunities and time for Ironman to get their shit together. Um, it's just <laughs> if, if, if every week there's, there's a race being cancelled or postponed or being put too close to Kona when it may or may not happen and I just figured really I'd, I'd like to get in another big challenge while I can, while I'm healthy and, and, and seeing Alistair a, a few weeks ago struggling with injury just puts it ever present again you know it's just no one's invincible and and you kind of have to really take the opportunity when it's there and, and so we just decided to try something new and and in these times quite frankly beggars can't be choosers
0: well well Alistair and I spoke about it last in the episode that come out this week you know your race and just how good it is for the sport and, and I think everybody coming out of this COVID year where we didn't have races and suddenly we're getting this match racing and you know the big names of the sport prepared to sort of lay it down and and basically put on a great show for us all i just think it's fantastic what you're doing and you know wish you all the best for the race mate but i i know you'll be ready but let's move on today we're actually recording 10 days out from the men's race the men's olympic race in tokyo and i kind of want you all to sort of wind your clock backs a bit simon i know it's a long way but let's see what we can do and uh I want you to kind of think about what was your mindset when you were at this point? You know, 10 days out, you're probably flying over to wherever you had to be. And how did that mindset then change leading into the race? And I'll I'll start with you, Hamish, this one. What was it like 10 days out? What were you thinking?
1: Yeah, so 10 days out, I was in the south of France and we had a camp set up. We, I think Bevan had just flown over to the opening over to the village or over to the Olympics for the opening ceremony, he was going to come back. And me and my coach, we'd planned this session. It's probably the biggest, hardest session you could ever do in training. It was aimed to sort of take me beyond what you'd face in the race. The session went really, really well. Like We nailed it, and for the first time, I sort of felt like I was very well prepared. And I was at a point where if I was going to get beaten, it was going to be by a pretty exceptional athlete on their day. So I was pretty, I guess, confident was a word, but just content that I'd done all the work and I was ready. I think um, from there on in though, yeah, as an athlete, I did get into that mode of starting to doubt myself. Um, I think we all would have gone through it. And I think the 10 day out, really the conversation was with my coach where I, I recovered quite quickly from the session. I said to him, look, I need to do another, I can do this again, I can do this in probably three days' time, why don't we do another one? And he, in his wisdom, said, no, no, you're ready, you need to just calm down and um, just trust the work you've done. And we probably argued about this for a couple of days and, you know, it was a it was a point in my career where it was, you know, your success is often determined by the team you, you manage managed to build around you and this was an example where I had the right person at the right time to tell me what I needed to hear, and it wasn't until after the race that I said to my coach, Chris Pallone, I said, actually, I think you got that right, and he goes, yeah, of course I did. (laughs) But it was, I so easily could have fallen into that trap of, you know, doubling down on on a key session, and I look back at it now, and I think, um, you know, we're often filled with a degree of dissatisfaction that we're chasing more and we want more and we very rarely step back and give ourselves credit or permission to feel good. And it was a reminder to me that yeah as athletes we we sometimes lose, we always lose that balance to be fair between um being satisfied and pushing for more. And it was just a really neat period where I learned to let go, trust myself and be be that person. And it took me 10 years to figure that out. But um, in that moment, I think it was, I was as ready as I could have been. I, I think
0: that's, that's a really great answer in the sense of um, explaining the, the, the kind of the roller coaster ride of confidence, or as Alistair mentioned in his book in the last episode, we, we talk about self-belief, but how it can kind of be fleeting and, and waves up and down. But if you have that right team and the relationships around you, it um, can really be empowering and so by the time you got to the actual race start on the you know the route on the pontoon what was your mindset like right at that moment
1: well i've sort of gone through a, a, you know, three days out i've gone through this real a roller coaster is exactly what it was um i completely freaked out before the race and i thought i can't do this i'm not ready <laughs> and i broke down and I lost my, I just lost my shit, and I, was, I, I called my wife back in New Zealand. We had young kids, and I was crying, and I said, I can't do this, and I'm, I'm not ready. I don't feel, you know. And she just said, look, look, you know, pull yourself together. It's you're fine. And it was just again the right people around me were able to have those conversations at the right time. And for me, walking out onto the pontoon in Athens, I'd practice what I was going to do, and. The point was, I was going to walk out there. I was going to smile, and I was going to just look around and feel good and who I was and where I was, and just put the race away to one side and just think, "Here I am, and this is a really cool moment." And allowing myself to enjoy that point, I think I was very calm and focused. I wasn't distracted by what was about to happen, and I think I started quite close to Greg. Oh, sorry, <laughs> you. Greg, yeah, I was really close to you on the start line, I think, and. Again, it sort of annoyed me because I didn't really want someone to jump on my wake or get on my feet. But then I thought, that's <laughs> what we're here for. And it was, it was a moment I really was able to just relax and enjoy. And, I mean, the other funny thing was just before we walked down into the pontoon, I sort of looked at my coach and I said, shouldn't you be giving me a bit of a peck talk or is there any, what, what am my? you know, what, what's, what's your last words? And he says, well, if it comes down to a sprint, don't go too early and don't go too late. And I said, (laughs) that's, that's not much use, is it? And he's laughing his head off and he said, I don't need to say anything. You're ready. Just relax. And it was just this down to earth approach where I was able to just let go of the occasion and not be overwhelmed because that's what happened in Sydney. I was just spun out and just my own worst enemy. So Again, it was just about letting go and trusting and letting the race happen was really the the key to that day.
0: Thanks, mate, that was brilliant. Jan, mate, what about yourself? 2008, you know, that Olympic gold was, what a breakthrough performance for you. 10 days out, you know, what was your mindset going in?
4: Yeah, I, I came from a very different background. I, um, as you said, it was the first race I I ever really won on an international stage other than a French Grand Prix, <laughs> where the guy who came second was my teammate. And <laughs> you know, anybody who knows how racing in France works, it, it doesn't really count for that much. But 10 days out, we were still in Jeju in South Korea, where we decided to hike heat acclimatization. And um, it was round about then that I, I woke up in the middle of the night and sweat drenched, actually in my dream, had won the race. And that was a pivotal moment for me because it was the first time that I could believe it because up and until then I had done all these things and I'd done all the preparation and we'd we gone in, you know, sort of convincing ourselves that Javier Gomez is beatable because at the time he was winning pretty much everything and Daniel Unger and myself, we were, you know, training mates and best mates and, and doing all this work together and, you know, really – yeah having a a good crack at being at the very best we could be and still having done well in the last season and you know having trained really well with daniel and and having outdone him in a few sessions i still in my mind couldn't picture myself winning that race so even when i saw the finish line in the last moment there'd always be somebody shooting past and that's why that was such a pivotal moment where i you know, I, I sort of disappointing, you went back to bed, realizing it was just a dream. but <laughs> uh, as it goes, it yeah, it came true too. not too much after that, when we flew over to Beijing and against um against all odds, we actually decided to stay in the village as well and soak up the Olympic vibes when really most of the teams, at least most athletes that I know were staying out on the course. And, you know, it was about a 45-minute drive or something like that, which, yeah, at the time is obviously when you're trying to avoid, or avoid all stress and kind of nuisances. And, and that really was still a good decision because we were able to soak up the vibe of the Olympics, seeing all the athletes come home with their medals and and celebrating. And it was really something that made it so much bigger again, and so much more worth fighting for, that it was I think the key moment that gave me a lot of energy for that race. I
0: like that. So it was almost like this. it gave you that arousal state state of being around other gold medals, you could almost see it and taste it. so it made <laughs> you feel like, hang on, maybe I want one of those. Did when you were standing on the pontoon, when when you were when you had just walked out, was there a sense of confidence or was the doubt there could Do you remember can you remember what that felt like
4: yeah i remember that we sat in the in the call up area and it was it was smoking hot outside it was ridiculously humid and i could see the worry in in i think it was i think it may have been jared shoemaker's face who was sitting just opposite and it was really what i needed to see that I was in a very happy space. I wasn't actually worried, or I wasn't stressed. And somehow, I realized that there really is only one opportunity here, and it can change your life. But it really will only change your life if you win. And, and that's something that my mentor had had taught me. The, the our high performance coach at the time, he was like, really, you know, unless you win a gold medal here, your life is is not going to change at all. And yeah, that was something that I that I that made me see it as an opportunity rather than a burden.
0: Mm, I like that. That's pretty cool. Um how you can flip that kind of psychology around to t- be in a happy place. I think and, and see somebody else worrying, <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Uh that's fantastic. And now, Alistair, where do we start, mate? 2012, 2016, I guess there's differences but similarities for you. You know, take us through, I guess both of them, or if they're different, or you know London Olympics and Rio Olympics, uh, the ten days out, you somewhat the favorite for both. What was your mental state like?
3: yeah, I, I consider myself really lucky to have made it to two Olympic start lines in pretty much the best shape I could possibly be in, so ten days out, you know I, I was kind of feeling good doing good sessions, knowing that I'd done pretty much all the work I could do, and I was happy with that. I guess going into London, I just had a perfect six months of build up. Um, I was feeling good. We we always we would had a kind of protocol that we'd tried out where we'd spend some uh, various amounts of time at altitude four or five weeks, kind of come down to sea level two or a bit more weeks before the race. So at London I was actually sat at home in my house, which is just up the road from where I live now, kind of in my living room. And we we uh We didn't want to go to the opening ceremony or anything, even though it's just in London. So we were sat, Johnny and me, watching it like on a beanbag on my uh, living room floor, eating fish and chips, watching the opening ceremony on TV. And we actually even put our outfits on because we thought it'd be fantastic to kind of get in the Olympic spirit. And uh, like someone said, uh, I think Jan said, you know, just have that Olympic vibe as a bit of a performance booster. So yeah we we were sat there in in the living room kind of knowing that we'd done all most of the training we could do and we were are pretty happy with that. Uh and every, everything had gone everything had gone well. I mean I I was really confident 10 days out from London. Um I knew that as long as I went and executed I was the fittest I'd ever been and I'd won pretty much most of the races I'd raced in in the few years before and I was even better than that. So I knew I was in good shape I I was just making sure that nothing happened uh untoward and yeah just trying to do all the little bits to make sure I arrived on the start line in the in the best possible shape to go out and execute yeah I saw I knew it was a massive deal I knew it was a once in a lifetime opportunity it was a my chance to win the Olympics didn't know if that'd come around again it was my chance to do it at home like I said earlier I'd known about that race for seven years I couldn't walk out down the street literally without someone saying we're looking forward to seeing you win the olympics and i was thinking it's not quite that easy but um anyway and uh yeah it was good in in rio four years later i mean i was still in a great position not quite in the the same position i was in london i'd have had a little bit of a a niggle i guess and um yeah training hadn't quite gone as well but i was still i was you know i knew i was in a good place i knew i'd done everything I could in the lead up. I was training as hard as I could. We were actually staying on a, a Brazilian air force base um, because it was kind of a safe place to train in Brazil in the same climate uh, for the two weeks before the um, games. And this place was it's brilliant. It was like kind of Top Gun. We've seen planes take off at most hours of the day. And uh, it just had like a hotel on the base. And there's actually kind of a, a old school swimming pool, just where across from where we were staying and uh, loads of cane fields we could run around on the edge of the runways while we saw all the planes take off and land <laughs> and uh, at, like at a, a track that was the most kind of beautiful like warm weather track that we we're doing our last sessions on you know running around as fast as we can with about 100 Air Force recruits kind of stood around the track cheering us on and yeah it, it was um, it was just a really uh, actually really cool two weeks with yeah the whole team Around me, I was lucky enough to go to two Olympic Games as well. With the team, the Great Britain team, you know, focused around uh, Johnny and me doing well with a support, some kind of support athlete in Stu Hayes and then Gordon four years later. And the effect of that was really cool because it just meant three of us were preparing for the race together, training as hard as we could, pushing each other on, and we're kind of in it together. And obviously, the, the fantastic team of people I had around me in coaches and the support staff uh, and they were pretty much identical for both Olympics Um, so yeah the same people around very different environments but similar kind of emphasis.
0: I I still look at your I know you've probably talked about a thousand million times whatever the your your London and dealing with that pressure Um, for listeners that don't know Alistair probably went into London as the favorite to win and you know, rocking up to a crowd, a couple of hundred thousand locals that all wanted their boy to win. I just think that was um, outstanding pressure that you you took on, and you did so well. And um, you know, you spoke about confidence and, and self belief, and I think there's this tremendous self belief in in the way you operate. And uh, it just was fantastic to watch both both of those. And now, Simon, mate, the the Sydney Olympics. You and I did some work together before that one, and. Tell me about it, mate. If you can remember that far back, now it's 21 years ago almost since you ran down Macquarie Street to have that win. But the 10 days out, um, what was going on through your mind?
2: Yeah, it's a life. It's half a lifetime ago. Just fun, just those magical moments coming into it. I I had an opportunity to run with a a Kenyan contingent the warm up track. I think two days before, and I went to high school in Australia. I graduated from high school from the step to the opera house. And all those things just culminated with getting to the start line in a place that was just a real, just a real joy for racing and, a, and an attitude. wasn't there to win; I was there to perform, and it paid off. And as Hamish is telling on the pontoon, I fondly remember. I, I don't know if Hamish remembers this. I said, to Hamish as we got there, that they, I hope the sharks don't eat us, and Hamish just leave me alone. <laughs> 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 and Hamish I didn't have any pressure going into that. It was this was just an opportunity to perform. I think that that is to Alistair your story there, just that level of pressure and to perform like that. Yeah, and you've done since then at Kona and rising again to that level of pressure. Just my mind that you're able to do that to handle that. Can't believe it all happened. <laughs>
0: quick mini break to remind you of the show's incredible partners. You can get 10% off all Hyperice products using the exclusive Greg Bennett Show discount code GREG21 at checkout. Go to hyperice.com and use code GREG21. A quick reminder to do yourself a favor and sign up to Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens also makes a great gift for any family member or friend. So sign up now and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate and heart rate while you swim. You Need the form smart swim goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off, or you can use code Greg2021 at checkout. So, the athletes now they're all 10 days out from the Olympics. This show is going to drop two days before the men's race and three days before the women's race. Let's again just touch on some of your races. You all had Either sprint finishes or had to surge away in the final kind of kilometre or two from one, two, three, four people. For me, there's something there that trying to understand what it took for you that that strength inside, and 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 was there a moment where you felt like you had it won? I'll throw to you, Jan, on this one. Was there, I mean, you had that tremendous sprint finish, one of the all-time great sprint finishes in Olympic history, I think, with yourself, Simon, (laughs) and Bevan Doherty and um, Javier Gomez. Do you remember a moment there of digging really deep and finding a strength, and was there a moment that you're like, okay, i got it?
4: Yeah, so if you guys remember, the course in Beijing was a four-lap course on the run. And we basically, they they built this pontoon, which we ran on for the top of a, of a U-shaped course. Then we ran down the chute where the water would normally run down and then basically complete the U around the bottom with another flat bit. And on the last bit on this steep climb back up to the dam, you know, it was scorching hot and the helicopters were all around and it was a strangely quiet place because no spectators were there, but there was still so much noise going on and all I could hear was Bevan Doherty breathing next to me. Like he was just, that's thats all I heard in the whole moment. Like there was so much going on and I just heard his breath. And I was like, instantly, I was just, it was just so instinctive, but I thought he was breathing too hard for what we were going. And it just gave me this confidence that this was the moment I trained for because it was before Alistair really put his mark on on short distance racing. And and we actually all had to learn to ride bikes again, that. Basically, I was so confident it was going to be a sprint finish that that's all I'd been training for. I really, I sprinted, I did sprint sets, I don't know, four times a week or something. And it made me realize that this is the moment (laughs) it's actually come true of all the variables. You know, it's really how it's panned out. We came on to the, well, the opposite of the finishing straight. And on the big screen, I saw Simon come back from what he must have lost. I don't know, maybe 10, 20 meters. And just before he got to us, he threw his visor into the stand or you know, away from the sides, and I realized that he was going to surge because he lost his surprise moment a little bit because, unfortunately, the camera was on us, and I could see him coming on the big screen right next to us, uh, <laughs> which I, I would reclaim in your case. <laughs> I don't know to tell them. That's bullshit. <laughs> and, and really, it was such a relief because, finally, that last, surge long sprint was about to happen and simon launched off and I, I went and went straight after him and got into the finishing straight and really it was just this this long tunnel where somebody had reminded me the day before that whatever you do don't look around because every time i looked around previously and somebody came by i was just yeah, I was just so focused on that red tape and I just kept surging through and having no idea where everyone, where anyone else was and just really, yeah, keeping my blinkers on, hoping no one's coming from the side and yeah, having that really surreal moment of it becoming true after visualizing and, and dreaming of it for what felt like a lifetime.
0: You know what I love about that is we can get ourselves into a sprint situation and can almost feel anxious or pressure but because you trained that, you had the feeling of excitement that finally you got to unleash and show it. And and I think that's, you know, to to outsprint our friend Simon here, who's on the sh- on the show and on the recording, who I think was probably one of the greatest sprint finishes I've seen in the sports history. And you you were able to keep tacking away from him, I thought was one of the great outstanding sprint finishes of all time. And you know, what was that? I'm just gonna move straight into the next question while I got you. What was that? That first feeling you felt as you as that you crossed and and grabbed that tape and was crossed the line. What was that
4: F- very first feeling? Was there one? The strange enough, the first thought I thought is, I have to lie down because that's what people do. As he's finishing at the end of a marathon when they've put the tape, you lie down on the floor, and then I, I realized I was so ecstatic and so energy loaded that I. I had to get straight back up. And I was like, why did I lie down? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just <laughs> one of those things that you do as a complete rookie when you're thrown into this moment of of, of sports dreaming. And I think the next thing I looked was was for my parents in the grandstand just to try and grasp it all and, and, and celebrate it with those closest.
0: Oh, I think that's... <laughs> what a great answer it is it's like this I, i've got to put on a performance totally. now at the finish right <laughs> hang on what what do the cameras want uh <laughs> i think that's brilliant uh and and very unexpected answer that's that's fantastic alistair mate you basically both of your races surged you didn't really have to have the sprint finishes so much you kind of got a gap with a kilometer or so to go but at those moments for both of your gold medals, was there something deep inside? Was it and, and was there a feeling then that you knew you had won once you had the gap opened?
3: Yeah, so in um, London, my tactic was basically to go out as hard as I possibly could. And I was actually looking at the, the scoreboard, the clock, and I knew that I ran out and transitioned on at a certain time. And, and I knew that I'd run the first lap in pretty close to seven minutes, and then the second lap in just in seven fifteen or something to give a you know a really fast first five K and Johnny and Javier were still with me. But to be honest, there was a moment in London you you kind of ran up and then you ran over this bridge. You did a dead turn and then there was a downhill back onto the side of the Serpentine and about about a kilometre in, Johnny came round me and I straight away knew that he was trying to slow it down. And I was fairly confident from that moment I was going to win. Um, it's just one of those moments I was like, yeah, I must be running really quick if he's trying to slow it down when we going to run a k and um yeah I, I i kind of knew i was i was running quick and i think maybe at 6 or 7k i had started to pull away from Javi uh, and i've got a a really strong memory of with about 2k to go um on the surf time bridge because the crowds were so big you couldn't really have coaches giving you any input um, apart from on the 50 meter stretch over the bridge that people weren't allowed to stand on there was a coach and he said you've got seven seconds or maybe I can't even remember maybe 11 seconds or something and at that point I was obviously doing the maths 2k to go seven seconds three seconds a k unlikely um and yeah I I kind of obviously knew I had it won but still had to run super hard um and I was running down the last kind of k on Serpentine Drive and it was just awesome you know I saw people friends leaning over the barriers people i went to school with that had seen uh you know coaches there was coach loads of people that came down from my um the running club that i've run with um, swimming clubs uh, where i went to school university and i was just seeing various flags and t-shirts of all these groups of people uh, leaning over the barriers and the noise was just it, it, incredible but i, I still I didn't, I I was really conscious afterwards that I hadn't enjoyed those last uh, few hundred meters of the Olympics. So even though I had a gap, I must have been running as, as pretty much as hard as I could. In Rio, I, yeah, kind of rather infamously now at 5K, Johnny and me were running on our own. And Johnny says to me, relax, slow down. And obviously, straight away, I knew that meant that was the time to put the boot in. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I, was, I speeded up, uh, got a gap very quickly and went straight over to a 16 second lead and yeah, knew, knew I'd won and with a couple of K to go and then I, you know, I said, right, get yourself to the last K, make sure you don't mess it up and in the last K I was like, now is your chance to enjoy it, uh, take this in and yeah, make the most of the opportunity like you didn't get before. So yeah, I had a, a whole K of enjoying winning the Olympics in Rio.
0: Well, you know what? I'm still stuck on the fact that you ran the first 5K in London in 14, 15, um, <laughs> after a pretty tough bike, and I, know, I know both Simon and and uh, Jan felt that. Well, actually, Simon, you you had a crash, didn't you? Uh, you didn't probably feel any of that, but just absolutely incredible running. And it, what I love about that is that you actually have had the opportunity to go win two gold medals. And the second one, really recognise that you want to enjoy that final last kilometre. Just outstanding, mate. Brilliant. Simon, how about you, mate? Running down Macquarie Street, you, you're in second place. What did it take to, to outkick and, and come around um, at the end there?
2: We're running down, uh, the last bit there was more about staying away from Dmitry Gag from Kazakhstan. He was charging hard and uh, I had... Started to resign myself to the idea that any color metal was good. And then as I came up, I was trying to stay away from him. As I came up on on uh, Stefan Vukovic, it was, uh, I realized that this was my opportunity to hear the anthem. It was uh, He'd made a bit of a tactical error coming down the Macquarie Hill. He'd moved over to the inside and the, and the center lane had, was more of the direct route. And uh, I had, you know, Coach Lance Watson had said before the race he had the audaciousness about him to to suggest that I was going to be in a sprint finish, and I guess I could picture that at the time. I I don't know if I was I was there to perform as I alluded to before. I wasn't. I hadn't thought of it so much as winning as just performing, and so to get into that sprint finish position and then have your coach be right to say, "Hey, this is going to unfold." At this point in the race, and you're going to have to keep your wits about you. And I knew that once we got into a, uh, a short sprint finish, that that was my my forte. I came from that kind of 800-meter track background and felt that if I could get these races down to, to the final sprint, that suited me. Coming in and across the finish line, yeah, it all kind of comes rushing at you. It happens pretty quickly and I love the honesty there about just, you know, thinking, what am I supposed to do now? (laughs) That was all, uh, that was, that's so honest. It's so true. You, you have this flood of this, like you're, you're captured in this moment and you're, you've worked so hard to this place. And then the, 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 how does this, what happens next starts to occur to you. And, uh, I will say that that uh, that part I wasn't expecting. I don't. I. It's. It was all a bit of a blur there, and it it transpires in that kind of, the next thing you know, you're shuttled off, and all of the fanfare begins, and you're just grasping for little moments where you can kind of take it all in and and just appreciate what's just happened. And I, I don't know if yeah, you're off in the back corner of this. And I found you sitting there doing the same thing, and it's one of my absolute favorite moments, sporting moments was just that moment we had together just sitting there thinking what the bleep just happened, and where to from here um it uh it does happen quickly. it happens <laughs> it happens in a way that you don't you haven't rehearsed, you've thought through you think much of what happens afterwards, and uh the case for me it was uh. You know, as I said, to school in Australia, all my, the boarding school mates were there, my, my folks were there, my, my closest friends, including you, Greg, were there. And it just seems so, I don't know, real as it all kind of comes together like that. And then just hearing each of you relive it, I just, uh, to be small parts in those stories and to, to be brought back to it all, it's just the magic of sport. It's truly such a wonderful thing.
0: That's really well said, mate. It just I, I love the the honesty of all of you where it's kind of like you cross the line, it's like, hang on, now what am I meant to do? Hamish, mate, you had that an unbelievable I did not ever think that you had a sprint. I've I've sprinted you throughout my career and I you and I are probably the same. we're okay, but I never thought of you as a sprinter and, and you ran away from Bevan Doherty, who I'd regard as a sprinter, to win your two thousand and four Olympic gold. Mate, how did you make that happen? And when did you feel like you had it won? Um, And then I'm finally on that same question, you know, your first feelings when you cross the line as well.
1: Yeah, you're right, Greg. I I never was renowned for being a fast finisher. (laughs) I didn't mean that in a bad way. Uh, uh, You uh, went super, super fast. You you were strong, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely the case. I think we were running about a kilometre into the finish to go and uh, my coach had been sort of telling me to, you know, just wait and be patient. And I felt pretty good at this point. Bevan had attacked about a K to go and we had sort of surged ahead and we'd got a gap. And so there's really just the two of us left. And I think it's, it's like Simon says, I was really drilled into the mindset of a performance. I hadn't really considered any result and it even didn't even sort of have in my mind I was at the Olympics it was more just how do you run fast when you're really tired and your body's sort of in a bit of pain and as we surged away uh, Bevan who must have been feeling pretty good had said to me hey we are now we're going to get a medal and it's and I can't remember what exactly he said but he's he, you know he started he started talking and we were running pretty hard at this point and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty awesome that you can talk right now because I couldn't really get a word out if I had, if I tried. <laughs> but it's also like what Alistair said, as soon as Bevan started talking to me, I just thought this is it. I, I, I attacked him because uh, when you're talking and you're running hard, you're not breathing as much. So I just, I guess, instinctively thought that was the time to go. And I think it felt, it wasn't like a chariot's fire moment. There wasn't sort of violins playing in the background um, it's pretty clinical like I, <laughs> I remember it was really just totally focused on lifting my hips up and getting my turnover up and relaxing so it's quite a I remember it being quite a very technical kind of application of running fast at that moment and I think because I tacked over the top I managed to break away from him and get a bit of a gap and then it was kind of cool just to be going full flight with about probably the 800 meters to go at this point. And it worked w- well for me only because I wasn't probably going to out sprint Bevan, but I could get him, if I could get him to, my mindset was if I can get to the, I bought the finish line 400 meters back to on the course where I said, that's where I'm going to try and f- be completely tapped out. And I, Yes, if someone was still with me, they were going to be better than me. So I sort of took my took a risk to put myself into a spot, a fair way from the finish line where I was going to be laid all on the line. And it just gave me a chance to break even before we needed to sprint. And um, so it sort, of, it sort of worked out and um, it, it is an amazing feeling. I think you come across the finish line because you're so drilled into – the um, application of running fast that as soon as you cross the finish line the whole thing switches into the outcome which is that you won and it is completely overwhelming it's like what are you meant to do i think the real highlight for me was you know as the other guys have said you see the people that have been part of it and that's really special it's impossible to take it all in it's kind of overwhelming but super exciting as well And, and I kind of think that's the circus of the olympics is between the start and the finish line it's it's a pure kind of race but either side of that it's this bizarre environment which is nothing like you know you've ever experienced it's quite quite odd but our sport is special because in those moments it's your fellow competitors which are, are genuinely um, ecstatic for you and i remember simon came up to me after the race and i think Greg you as well we your guys admiration or respect or congratulations you know it means so much to you because we've all been in this and um, as athletes we're there to celebrate each other's success and it's it's pretty cool I I mean I, I guess also just what it means for your country like we all know what impact it has and kids it inspires and I guess that's another reason why it's amazing because it it touches a whole nation in a slightly different way and you don't actually do it for that reason but you start to realize the impact it has and the people it inspires is is a pretty cool gift and again to be part of that or to do that well you, you did it it's is amazing and it's just yeah it's really hard to absorb you kind of are on a bit of a merry-go-round at that point
0: I like how you, you phrased all of that. I, I think it, it steps us through the final process and then what it's like when you cross the line and, and you touched on how it affects a nation. And I guess I've got one more question for all of you before we, we do our Tokyo predictions. But talking about this gold medal and you know, obviously how it affects your life both initially, you know, that that you know, the first forty eight hours kind of thing, to then all these years later. You know, all of you have been on the show, we've spoken about it a little bit, but maybe you can all briefly, before we go into the predictions, give me a bit of an insight into how, what do you think it's been has really, how has it affected your life? Simon, I'll start with you, although I do lose you a little bit, mate, so try and get your best internet so we get a good good answer from you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I guess that's part of it, isn't it? I found myself living a little bit off the grid just because it does have an effect you you lose your anonymity, you know. You uh, become recognized, and you and it's wonderful. And I've had incredible moments with people who have shared their experience, their Olympic experience of watching that Sydney race or Beijing or following my career. It's uh, as as wonderful as that is, and as touching as those stories can be. It can be very overwhelming. I think I found. So I've tried to find a balance and all that where there's, it doesn't become everything that you are and that you do. And your whole entire story doesn't just revolve around being that Olympic guy. And we talked about this on your podcast. That's being certainly my, on the song just wasn't ready for, I don't, I don't think the sports system in Canada is all that. There wasn't, there wasn't mentors. There wasn't really felt like we were on our own both in on Canada it was well here you are you've won the medal you know onwards and upwards and there wasn't a much there wasn't much in terms of support for what comes with that spotlight and all the all of the bits and pieces that attach to that I've had moments where I would I'll be frank I, that I've almost resented it just in terms of wanting to either move past it or just what has been some of the consequences of it and the mentality that it took uh, uh, the Olympic Games and all that it, it does, is, it's, it's worth it, you know? And I, and I certainly, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there's been parts of it that I've I've certainly had my struggles with trying to, to find a place in it all. Um, yeah, there you go.
0: Well, I think there's also that element of being young and and thrust onto the the world scene and especially within your own country and then suddenly you've got to be this person and, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of roles that suddenly you've got to play and there's an expectation from others around you that maybe you weren't, you know, like you said, you didn't have mentors, you didn't have anybody to sort of help you You step through that. Jan, what about yourself, mate? Because a similar situation in the sense that you were kind of thrust onto the scene to some degree, it was your first breakthrough race as well. How has it impacted your life, both initially and all these years later?
4: Yeah, I, th- I think my journey was probably a little bit different. At the time, my motivation was also very different. For me, it was much about breaking free and, and, and honestly, just I actually just thought about getting rich, to be honest, <laughs> which <laughs> I mean, may have in hindsight chosen the, the wrong sport or maybe not, but it was definitely one of those things where like, I remember even going into the Olympics, I was like, man, this is the last time I'm going to ever have to push this hard. Cause I, after this I'm done. Like I thought I was set up for life and I thought all I want to do from there on is, is go and, and, and party and enjoy life. And and so I did. Um, <laughs> and it it took a few months to realise that I didn't enjoy that and that actually it, it probably took that step away from the sport to make me realise that I, I loved the sport and that I was doing it for very, very different reasons thereafter. But it did sort of throw me into a bit of a tumble uh, in the phase afterwards where I really couldn't get my get my hunger back to a level that was sufficient to where the sport was growing. You know, Alice did come onto the scene and um, was basically dominating every race he he was entering and, and Harvey was still there, but I wasn't even like second row after that, you know, I was like second page of the results next thing, you know, and that I think was a valuable lesson to really move on to, to my later stages of, of, of my career and, finding true enjoyment for the sport and, and finding true enjoyment for, for excellence of performance. Whereas before I just, you know, had a bit of a chip on my shoulder and really wanted to prove a lot of things and, 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 you know, um, I don't know, find a, find my way into, into the sports society. It was a long journey that certainly had uh, a lot of ups and downs, but in the end i guess it came good and that's that's the good thing about now you know be, being being old and being in a sport for a very long time means that you've also had a lot of time to reflect and, and 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 grow as a person and i'm really happy that nowadays i can enjoy that last 100 meter stretch that Alistair was talking about or the last kilometer or even you know just symbolically speaking that i've really been able to enjoy this this part of my career and 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 actually, yeah, seeing that these are probably some of the best years of my life.
0: And you can see that in the way you're racing, that you're just absolutely loving it. But it's fair enough to sort of say, you know, when, when you, you you tick that box, that, the gold medal, that's everything, that's everything. And then you get it and it's kind of like, okay, I'm done. And it's like, oh, hang on. But I love the sport too. What else can I do to keep that sort of motivation going? And then you're getting slapped in the face by these young, young guys, Alistair Brownlee and Johnny and, and uh, Javier Gomez. And suddenly it's like, oh, <laughs> I gotta get, come on, let's get going again, which you did. I mean, you did that next four-year cycle, still performed very well come London. I think you were, was it your sixth, fifth?
4: Yeah, sixth. sixth.
0: The two Frenchies, yeah, in yeah, two, six. Three, two. That's right. The two Frenchies are in front of you, and um, and then you've gone on, on obviously. But it's a it's a great story in itself. Alistair, for you, mate. You know, you, you're you're the most recent gold medalist we've got, but you've also doubled down on the the gold medals. You know, did it impact your life tremendously? What's it been like?
3: Yeah, absolutely, it did. I think similar to what everyone else has said, you kind of cross the finish line, and your time isn't your own for a period of time. Is the first thing. I think the second thing is you don't know what it should feel like, kind of what to expect, because it's this thing that you've been working up to the whole time, and um, yeah, you don't know how to feel. And in truth, there was hundreds of emotions, and a very strong one in London was relief <laughs> that I had actually um, kind of done it and pulled it off, along with yeah, happiness and uh, contentment and, and everything else. And then yeah, kind of not knowing what to expect in the wider scale of is this going to make me famous or rich or, or whatever? And yeah, I mean, I had in London, especially, I had a crazy busy few weeks after that. I didn't sleep for quite a long time. Some of that was my own fault. Some of it wasn't. <laughs> um, I was yeah, doing very late nights and very early mornings and sleeping in uh, cars as I was being driven around London to do various events. And it, yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. But ultimately, I think about 10 days after the race, I'd flown back to Leeds in a helicopter, being greeted in Leeds by a crowd of people to say, welcome home, and been to like a Leeds kind of parade where in the town square in Leeds, like thousands more people had come to welcome all Olympic athletes. Uh, And it was just crazy. Like, yeah, you know, I could go out for dinner and someone would pay for my dinner and I could go to a nightclub and just get let in and have everything for free. It was like a crazy few weeks and months. And I had a kind of 10 days after I went swimming, I think it my normal, whatever it is, morning swim at the pool that I swim most of the time. And kind of was like, you know, right, what am I doing here? And I wasn't there for any real reason. I didn't really have a goal of, of anything to do. And I thought, yep, okay, dive in. And, you know, dived in, warmed up. And about half an hour later, I found myself racing. I think Johnny or whoever was in the lane next to me. And I was just like, this is what. This is just what I do. And it was kind of a, a real um, a period, a kind of moment of realization that actually, like, winning stuff is cool and fantastic. And I'd achieved this goal. And actually, kind of, I was then in the post-Olympic kind of lull of, like, you've achieved this massive goal and, and done this thing. And actually, it kind of didn't feel, I don't know, what I expected. I didn't know what to expect, but it didn't feel how I expected. And you hear all the sports people talk about that. Um, and then I got back into training. I actually, I then decided to try and race a few weeks after that, actually, a race that you were at in Des Moines. And I didn't really commit to that. I still carried on enjoying myself and doing a bit of training in between, <laughs> But 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 enjoying the training. And yeah, ended up having a ridiculously kind of busy few months in after Rio, kind of similarly, but I, I was really keen to carry on and do some racing. So I ended up doing some racing, going to um You were in Beijing with me after Rio. Beijing, yeah, of course. You were there as well. Yeah, so you're always wasting me post
0: post your Olympic golds. I'm the guy that you take it out on. That's right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully I um I hadn't given myself alcohol poisoning in between that one, so I was actually actually okay at that race. Um, And then I went straight to Cozumel afterwards, which ended up in the public sphere being a far bigger deal, you know, and completely weird. That As an athlete, you were, well, for both Johnny and me, you win Olympic medals, and that is the top of your sport, and that's how you think it is. And uh, I flew home after that. Uh, and was even busier I think for a few weeks of just crazy um interest and stuff around around both of us uh, and it was like yeah you know you're all talking about this uh event that happened and uh, but we saw it as a massive failure an athletic failure but and uh, why by the way we won um two olympic medals a few weeks ago well, I just never want to talk about that <laughs> so we had this really strange kind of period and we both went with it and we kind of pragmatically realized how fantastic it was for us and the sport of triathlon that all these you know people who obviously had no interest in triathlon whatsoever probably didn't know what one was before it were all of a sudden, sudden interested in it and um
0: just just let me interrupt so just for listeners that don't know just quickly tell us what Cozumel was and because there's probably listeners that don't know as much as it was amazing
3: <laughs> uh, so Cozumel was uh, the grand final, uh, so last race of the ITU World Series that year, it was in this ridiculously hot uh, tropical island of Cozumel in Mexico. Uh, did the race. I was running round in um, second, kind of third place with Henry Schumann. Johnny was about 15, 20 seconds in front of us. I'm thinking, this is it. Like, season's done. Johnny's going to be world champion. I've won the Olympics. I was already thinking of how quickly I could get a beer after across the finish line. And I uh, <laughs> think, yeah, I'm fantastic. I've got more moments of it in, enjoying myself all great. I remember my last finish, the last corner and Johnny's like stumbled into an official and generally looking pale and not good. And I, in the in a period of less than a second, I decided to grab him and basically start pulling him, carrying him towards the finish line, get to finish line, throw him over the finish line, and then... Absolute carnage erupts around me from every angle. My parents are on the phone with my mum screaming at me, "Is he okay?" <laughs> um, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not sure right now, but I hope so." Johnny is in intensive on intensive care bed with a lot of people looking very stressed. Uh, well, I'm saying, you know, Henry's won the race, but is getting stick from the crowd. People accusing me of cheating and breaking rules, and I had to. um Kind of explain myself on that front. Everything was delayed, like hours and hours, because they couldn't decide what to do with giving out medals and and all sorts. Uh, and all this carnage was going on. And I um then I went to bed that night feeling completely despondent, thinking, oh no, what have I done? Yeah, Johnny's in hospital. This is this is a disaster. Uh, I've broken the rules for the first time ever. I don't it, yeah, it's a lot's changed since now I get in trouble for dunking as well. But uh, at the time <laughs> I had not done anything wrong before. And went to bed that night um, after a few beers because it was the end of the year. And woke up the next morning, and I remember turning on my phone, and it was just going mental like the overnight, the kind of response to it was like nothing I've experienced, way bigger than either Olympics. And yeah, I was just in this crazy position of, you know, why has this caught the attention of people compared to, you know, what we as athletes think um, is valuable and uh, it captures people's attention, which is winning races.
0: I know, but it's, and I remember saying it on our first podcast we did together, I think it showed a really great human side to it all. You know, I think all of you guys, we... I put all of you on pedestals. You know, I think you're all amazing and everything else. But when you really see that human side come out and that brotherly love, and I think that's what the the world is drawn to when they see that 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 real human side of, of brotherly love. And I, I, whether it was brotherly love or you are just like, God, just get him across the bloody line. And, you, and the way you threw him across the line was hilarious. But but it really, I think, you know, it really was a special moment in sport. And uh, But it is fascinating to hear that you've had your two gold medals, and yet that moment was was even bigger. That's just extraordinary. Hamish, I'm missing you on that one, mate. I'm sorry. I actually I've got you on my notes here before we go on to predictions. Hamish, I want to talk to you, mate. How did that gold medal affect your life both in, initially
1: and, and later on? Yeah, I think uh, as Simon's saying, it's quite difficult to know what to expect. I guess everyone has their own experience. There's definitely a period of time when you come home and it's pretty overwhelming. It definitely continues like there's periods where you just want to move on and be someone else because you you're just always that person. And that can be quite quite tricky. I think I struggled with living up to an expectation that if I'm an Olympic gold medalist and that I should be exceptional at everything else I do. When pretty quickly, you know, I actually can't do much else. That's about as good as I am. And so you need to learn to reset yourself, I think, and, and go, just because I was that, it doesn't mean anything about anything else, really. And I think that's where having balance and something else in your life is really, really important. I had, some, I had a really good manager at the time. We, you know, we really did focus on making quite a lot of money, and I think I lost myself in that. I had some fantastic organizations which had supported me, so I really felt I wanted to give back to them. But my manager at the time was also really big on, because we got into this point where we were always having conversations and I would always be like, how much are they going to pay me? And it was like Roger had the presence of mind to say, who have you become? Like, are you kidding me? And so we made a real conscious effort to keep doing stuff for nothing and try to do school visits and try to make time for stuff which wasn't paid. Um, and I think those things were really important. But, yeah, there's definitely moments where you kind of wish you could give it back because it just kind of follows you wherever you go. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's just what it is. But I think mostly it's the joy that it gives other people and, and to share it with them is, although you, you're you talking about the same thing that happened a long time ago, it's still something that, that you have a gift and I think it's important that you do take the time to share that with other people because it does inspire others to do things and so we feel fortunate to be in that position.
0: Mm. I remember on our episode you described it once that if you were a car mechanic and you worked on one car really 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 well you could have worked on a thousand other cars as well but people are just going to talk about that one car that you did a really good job on and it can kind of get a bit old talking about the same car that stuck with me when when you said that but I I, you're you're in the position now with you know being the triathlon New Zealand high performance director let's move on to the final part of the show and the the predictions for this Olympic Games let's start with you Hamish because I've got you here mate so just quickly let's go through the men's podium women's podium and the team relay who do you think
1: well yeah look first of all I'm not going to put names on that. I just yeah, don't feel comfortable doing that. The interesting thing about Tokyo is going to be the fact that all the athletes are coming into this race from a completely different position. The Games have been postponed by a year. It's going to be super hot. There's going to be heaps of restrictions around movement, and there's just not been a regular build-up that other athletes have been able to too, because of restrictions and travel and you can't not, not as many races and there's not going to be any crowds. So in a way, I think it's going to be, it's going to throw up some, some real challenges and who knows what's going to happen. I I kind of enjoying just sitting back and it's just going to be a a bit more of a pure performance and the the Olympics part may fade into the background a little bit.
0: Mm, mm. I agree.
1: And you've also got the you know the mixed relay and the individual race, which is another new component for these athletes. And I think it's great the games are going ahead, and I think you know we do have to be conscious of keeping the Japanese public safe by sticking to the the protocols and health and safety. but how this race unfolds, it's going to be unique. And look, it could turn into a draft long, the swim could be cancelled, there's so many things that can happen because of the heat and the water quality and I guess in this role we've looked at every contingency and in the back of my mind there's so much that can change from what you'd normally expect. And so, yeah, I just don't think we can approach it like a normal race. And But I'm really looking forward to it. It is neat to be in this role and, and just to help a, a group of young athletes get through and onto the start line and then the rest of it's up to them.
0: Yeah, I agree, mate.
1: Well, thanks for your very
0: political answer, politically correct <laughs> that's not what I'm hoping for, but I am with you on the sense that I think the athlete that's going to be very successful is going to be able to adapt and adapt quickly to whatever circumstances are thrown their way. And it, it seems to be changing every day. We get closer to the race, Jan, mate. Can you give me? Can you step through and give me? You're, you're not in a in a in a role like Hamish is, where he's triathlon New Zealand high performance. You can, you've been incredibly authentic or show. You've told me everything. Who are you predicting, mate? Come on.
4: You know what? I would like to see Flora win. I just feel like she's gone through a lot of difficulty and tough times, but on the bike with the swim, there could be a a group getting away, perhaps with Jess, uh, Neomont, and her, and a couple of others. So I don't know. She's someone I've kind of looked forward to seeing go well. I think the British have got a few strong athletes, Georgia taylor Brown in there for sure. The boys, I genuinely not not only that I want to see him win, but I feel like Javier's done. He's flicked the switch this year, and he's genuinely focused on this one race. He's the only one I see who's really gone to the heat to prepare. He's a, he's over in Mexico, and with the whole build-up, you know, a lot of the guys leaving last minute, flying from Europe to fly over because of the training conditions and all that, which is understandable. But I'm not sure it's it's the strategy I would take. So. I think Javier, I think with the scenario, I don't think there'll be a group getting away. So you kind of have to think of Alex Yi as the new kid coming in with some super fast legs. And my neighbor, Vincent Louis. <laughs> some French flair in there. Like to see go well. And yeah, I guess Team France for sure for the relay. Who else is really strong for the relay? The British. The British for sure. The British, Lights. the British, yeah, and the US,
1: uh, US New, Zealand. In the real- New Zealand, teams. New Zealand, New Zealand, <laughs> sorry, Hamish.
4: <laughs> you never know. It's so- <laughs> Who? Who? <laughs> it's such a short event. You never know. <laughs> so we'll give great. it to the Kiwis. There we go. The Ki the Kiwis. There we
0: go. Hot favourites. <laughs> thanks, mate. Look, I I, I think uh, all of us here know Javier Gomez very very well he was just on the show a couple of weeks right before you Alistair and uh I think between all of us wouldn't we all I think the sport would be happy if Javier Gomez won and that's not to detract from any of the other guys out there they're all you know fantastic like you mentioned Vincent Lewis and um just Johnny Brownlee of course Alistair's brother up again there's so many great ones but true it'd really be nice to see Alistair come back and, and win a gold medal you all agree with me on that one <laughs> Alistair again. Sorry, Javier again. <laughs> you Sorry, just said thanks Alistair. for directing me Jan. I knew you'd be on me, mate. I mean Javier. <laughs> you'd all agree with me, right? Just to, to see Javier it wouldn't be pretty special, wouldn't it, huh? Yeah.
3: I
1: agree.
3: Yeah, I would. I think um most of us can agree he's the best triathlete never to win an Olympic gold medal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Well, Alistair, you're here, mate. Your turn. I mean, you just did the show. You already gave me predictions, but let's do it for this episode. If you don't mind, we'll, we'll run through it real quick. What do you think?
3: Yeah. So if we start with the, the women, I think we're going to see Brits at least one, if not two on the podium, depending on how the race goes. If the race is quite aggressive and we'll see Jess Slim off there. And uh, if the race isn't so aggressive, I think Vicky's probably got a shot and, on both of those scenarios. Georgia's got a shot. And, yeah, outside that, I also I think would love to see flora do well um and then outside that, i'm I'm just, yeah, I'm not so sure. I think the women's will be um relatively clear cut. I think I think the men's is much tougher. I think um, it's the most wide open Olympics I've kind of watched. It's genuinely, I don't think there's really favorites. I think there's maybe. 10 guys or 15 guys who can get a medal where, yeah, in the past it hasn't really been like that. So, yeah, and um, I, I mean, I agree. I'd love to see, I'd love to see Javi uh, do well. It'd be an incredible story. So that, and I, I also have seen him prepare and uh, prepare properly in hot conditions in Mexico and been kind of, I think that's great. And he, he's had this full focus on it, which I think is good. So it'd be great to see that. I think um, outside that, you know, I've got to say the Brits, similar to before, a, a um, slower, less aggressive race will really um, see Alex. You know, he's a fantastic athlete, and I think he's on that upward trajectory. I think every month he's probably getting a bit better. So if there isn't, if there is favorites, I think he'd have to be in there. And yeah, I think Johnny is in the best position he's been in in five years plus. So he's got a shot. And yeah, outside that, I mean. I would also love to see Vincent do well. I think he deserves it. He's been the kind of dominant force over the last few years and i like to see the favourite win. <laughs> yeah, I think some dark horses in Yellowy Games, if he gets it right. I have a feeling as well that there's a Swiss guy called Max Studer. I think he's a really good up-and-coming athlete and a bit of a, a dark horse. So I think he's got a good shot. And then potentially the Norwegians and I think that's probably Blumenfeld has got the best shot. but Never quite know what we're going to get there. So, but yeah, I think you couldn't not mention him. And then the relay, yeah, if it's the French to lose without a doubt, they've got the best relay team. And then I think it's a free for all between the next two podium slots between um, Aussies, Americans, Brits, maybe the Kiwis, <laughs> and, a, and a few <laughs> more in between.
0: <laughs> I like that. Oh. I like how you mentioned uh, the dark horses there, because really of the four of you, Simon and and Jan, you were somewhat dark horses. And, you know, so we really have half of you, 50% of all gold medals. Well, actually, you've got two hours, so you're ruining the thing. But basically half of you guys were dark horses coming in. And and it's crazy not to look at. I, I was even thinking before I throw to you, Simon, I was even thinking throwing someone like a, Tyler Mislachuk from Canada and, uh, and Morgan Pearson from the US, both just showing how well they're going. That would somewhat become a dark horse. I don't know. I mean, Tyler, not so much of a dark horse. He's He won the test event last year. But I think, Simon, what do you think, mate? Predictions?
2: Oh, I wish I got on first so I could have pulled the Flora Duffy card because uh, that's definitely who I'll. Uh... I'll say that I'd be cheering for too, and then uh, with Javier, I think we're all in the same boat. He feels like he should be on this call. He's just the legend of legends. Yeah, it's just it's it. I, I well, I'll go against one thing. Though. I'll say that I think it's more predictable in a sense that the those that have shown their formula and being able to apply that over and over again will be able to double down on their advantage, and they know how to prepare. They know how to handle these circumstances. I do love what Alistair said. I, I cheer for the favorites. I've always been that way too. I think it's just so incredible when an athlete rises to the occasion, having been under that kind of pressure. So I'm going to put a big plug in for Vincent Louis there. He's he's under pressure, but he certainly has the the wherewithal to get it done. On the team relay side, of course, there's the French team as the team to beat. I will say that one team, the, the, this Canadian team, we'll see where they sneak themselves in there. I hope that that's. I think that there's. They just have the. I don't know. There's some intangibles in that team that maybe we'll see them make their way into the scene. Beyond that, I don't know. It's it's it's. Uh, I I would love to see. You know, I love the way he races. Is uh, talking of a Kiwi is Hayden Wild. He just gets after it in a way that I just uh, I really appreciate. So I'll put a plug in there for for Hayden and just the way that he races, and then. You beat me to it, Ali. Uh, the the Morgan, uh, this the new the new kid on the block from uh, the states. Uh, I like the way he races too. I like his attitude, and I think he could definitely shake some things up. Uh, of course, Alex Yi, the way he's running, if that race comes down to it. But uh, I think my my biggest cheer, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone, is going to be for Johnny. It's just he's such a class act uh never never not had a moment with johnny where i didn't appreciate the time he spent and that will be my biggest cheer on the men's side with uh along with obviously the canadian contingent but uh i would love to see to see johnny make that a final step up to the the top of the podium there so uh i've given some politically correct answers too but uh i think we'll, we'll, it'll be great to see how it all unfolds
0: no that was brilliant and and I think, you know, Johnny, we're talking about one of the greatest Olympians in our sport. I mean, him along with uh, Bevan Doherty both have a bronze and a silver medal. I mean, these guys have doubled down at the Olympics themselves. And Johnny's got maybe one, maybe two cracks at it left. And and I think, uh, you know, if he could go bronze, silver, gold, what a story that is in itself. So it's uh, absolutely phenomenal. Well, guys, this has been absolutely a real thrill for me. And I've kind of, I've really been excited about this. And I can't believe I'm getting just to have all of you, you know, sit and chat with me. And I know it's all different hours of the time of day for all of you. And I really, really appreciate coming on. Any of you got anything you want to say before we go? And and this might be a bit of talking over each other. But if you've got anything you want to finish with, let me know. Otherwise, it'll be crickets and then I'll, I'll wrap up.
3: I just think it was a great idea. Well done. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thanks, Alistair. I
0: appreciate that, buddy. And for you, and, and you coming back on, mate, two weeks later, with all that you're going on, I really appreciate it. So thank you. I really appreciate it.
2: I want to share a quick favorite moment with, that I had with each of you, actually. Yeah, and I, I told you our favorite, my favorite moment was, uh, was being in the bottom, in the Olympic Village there, and also a moment running in the in uh, Saarbrucken, you invited me so generously to come and train with you. And we had a particular run one day out there. It was just the two of us. And I just couldn't believe I was able to, to get out there and have that experience with you. Alistair was uh, on the double-decker bus in London in 2011. And uh, you were under so much pressure. You were just handling it so well, going into your this, this build-up to this big race. And the two of us sat at the top of the double-decker and just took in the city of London and uh, hamish it's a it's when you gave me the cat <laughs> you came and stayed with us in, in victoria and at the end of our trip you you in the most new zealand way you said i got you a present i got you a cat and, uh, the worst cat anyone's ever had turnip but it was the funniest thing that's ever happened was to say here you're welcome thanks for having me with the cat <laughs> And know there's just too many to remember, but it would definitely, I guess it would be the Grog Bog, uh, driving back from Fort Macquarie way, way back in the day, and uh, just the faith you had and that that friendship that we developed over those years. So uh, I thought I'd share those moments.
0: Oh, thanks, buddy. We're, too many memories to, to share, but yes, the Grog Bog, and picking you up at Port Macquarie in 1991, 30 years ago now, um, and here we <laughs> are still talking to each other. Just fantastic, guys, to have you all on. Jan? Got anything you want to say, mate? Um, no, I mean,
4: I just, uh, (laughs) really, no, I'm done. Let me go to bed. No, I had this, I had this real smart ass comment of saying, Simon, I'm glad you finally found your internet now that we're done. And then all all, all these really, all these really nice comments come out and I feel like a bit of an ass. So I really, um, appreciate the time. Simon,
0: we didn't hear anything. Simon, we didn't hear anything you said during that whole
4: show, but thanks for (laughs) being I knew it was too good to be true to be on this call, so it's all just part of my imagination. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's been a great, uh, great pleasure hearing all the stories as well and hearing the
0: perspective from all you guys. Yeah, you do. and Hamish, mate. Thanks, thanks, John. Hamish.
1: Yeah, again, same for me. It's it's uh, it's a pretty special occasion to to get together like this. I mean, we could probably go on for hours and we've really only scratch the surface. But um, thanks, Greg, for. The work you're doing, I think the stories behind the performances of athletes is really what um, inspires and gives, you know, you always take things out of what other people's stories are and and what they've achieved. So the ability to tell those stories and bring them to life is really, really special. So just thanks to you and, um, yeah, and and congratulations, guys. It's it's an amazing group. And, yeah, just Greg, just keep doing what you're doing, mate. Yes, it's been amazing to listen to some of your work and even though you've been through this yourself, I often send your podcast to, to the athletes that I'm working with because there's so many great insights and things to learn and, and it's such a tough journey. Like We've all been through such tough periods of our careers and probably something we didn't talk about, but just acknowledging how hard it is and how many times you are down and out and you just feel like you can never kind of crawl your way back but, it's, yes, yeah, it's been a real pleasure today and thanks again.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Hamish, and thanks for sharing the show, mate. This has really been a thrill, like I said, and uh, just all of you taking time out of your busy schedules to come and chat. And hopefully next time we can all do it in person with a few beers in hand and um, and just sit there and, and have a bit more of a, a laugh. But th- this is absolutely brilliant in itself. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you can just share the show and any of your feedback, be wonderful. You can find all the show notes, timestamps, links, and uh, coupon codes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, guys, stay on the line for a moment, but I'm going to stop recording now. Thanks.
3: Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time. And I hope you will join Greg again very soon.